I think another important thing with actors is, you know, is, um, oh, sorry, Chip, I totally interrupted you and I didn't mean to, but you're, you're cutting kind of in and out. So I just saw your head going like this and then That's realized you were probably talking. all it was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I got the shakes. <laughs> oh, I got the shakes too, man. I got them bad. From Atlanta, where our traffic was rated 10th worst in the nation. Don't worry, we're working really hard to get it back into the top five. It's the Whole World Improv Podcast brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell and a man who's growing out his hair again. Not that he wants to, he's just too lazy to get a haircut. <laughs> John Mihalik. Hey everybody, it's John. Thanks for tuning in this week. This is part two of our interview with Jeffrey Umberger and Brian Bremer. We pick up the interview when I asked Jeffrey about how he got into the agency business. You started your own talent agency. What led you from being on stage to forming your own agency? Well, first I was an actor in the 80s and 90s, and then uh, I was playing the piano as my day job. And that was a short shift on the piano. You'd play two or three hours. So it allowed me a lot of time to try an acting career. I did about 25 years at playing the piano, and then I wanted to do something different. One thing led to another, and I started working with Chris Redding Casting as her assistant, and then needed more hours. There was a position open at People Store for their front desk, and took that. And at the same time, they needed someone in the voiceover booth. So I was the booth director, as it's called. I would direct the auditions as people came in to actually go into your agency and auditioning there. I was doing those two things. And then Rita Harrell, who's also a casting director now with Big Picture Casting, ran the BO department, but she became pregnant with her first child. And so I took over the voiceover department and I was head of the print department. You know, People Store is a great talent agency. It's very, very big. And was, I had grown the print and voiceover departments um, and I was very busy. And I was not quite 50 yet at the time. And I, it was, I didn't want to have high blood pressure. So I said, this is probably not the continued path I need. So I was going to coach. And I was coaching with Bob and Bella and all these great talent that I had not seen before. I thought we'd just love to be able to find you a job. I, I think that matchmaking thing in my psyche is what I love about casting or, you know, agenting is that there's a need for a role to be filled. And I love matching and successfully finding someone to match what the uh, client's looking for. But I didn't have any, you know, I was not an agent anymore. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just do just voiceover itself and I'll focus. So um, that was uh, 2010. I developed the agency over time. A decade went by and agencies are different because agencies are hard to run. They really are. Especially, it's kind of a one-man show aside from Brian being able to help me with the invoicing, the bookkeeping part of that, plus all the other support that Brian gives. Um, I made sandwiches too. He did? Oh my we God. We had lunch. There was. <laughs> we had several lunch. days. Many Sunday, days late, late, we had breakfast. lunch. So you were like craft mm -hmm. services and... I was. <laughs> yes, right. ma'am. That's right. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So, I would. After a certain point, running an agency by yourself, it gets so busy that you're kind of chasing your tail. It's a tiger by your tail. Busy. It's very busy, but you can't quite be an agent and the marketing. And it's very tough by yourself. So as a regional agent who had a national outreach had developed, I was approached by a management company in New York City, ACM Talent, and we'd worked together before in the past and really liked each other's entrepreneurial spirit. So I joined 
it allowed me to be a better representative of talent and to really just do the core thing, which is matchmaking roles with talent. So now, two years later, I shuttered my agency, and I'm now a manager for a very select few national talent. It's an amazing way to actually really represent talent and form their careers and help guide them and partner up with their careers. Brian and somebody else gets talent. to make the lunch. And there, we know it's the funny thing about it: when you're happy, you don't even need lunch. So uh, yeah, that's right. You don't even need lunch. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah, it's funny because I, th I, think, you, <laughs> I think you have to, I, I mean, I enjoy being able to be a talent representative who was once represented by an agency because I understand what it's like to be a talent, right. to not know what's going on in your agent's mind about you, to not know what really is needed, not to know when to knock on the door and when not to. And so it was I a good perspective. when the check was coming or when it wasn't coming. I know. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yes. Is it there yet? <laughs> it keeps me patient with the actors. And I think we have a special bond coming from the same place. You know, a special bond for me, I mean, you guys really create magic and the thing that I loved the best about sketchworks which you know I love character and I do character a lot right, and yeah. we do character workshops like at least once every quarter for especially new people coming in because sometimes they'll run over and grab an afro and a raincoat and start running to the stage and I'm like wait 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 what are you what are you doing what are you doing hold up yeah hold up. let's talk this through why the wig Embarrass yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, like Chaz Merriweather, where, what's the inspiration? I absolutely love that character. And God knows, <laughs> Jeffrey, you've got so many that I love because A, Granny, and then I can't remember her name, but she always had like a trench coat, but she had the bell bottoms. And she oh, had- Oh yeah. Alberta. Yeah. Alberta. Yeah. That was so many great characters. Uh, Del and her, uh, when she plays a dude and she sang that country song or whatever it was. She's a lesbian. It's She's a lesbian. Uh, what, what was that character's name? Um, I can't remember. Oh my god, I can't remember either now. Anita Gurley. Anita Gurley. That the Anita, video Anita of her sampling yeah. all her songs. Oh my uh -huh. god, that's yeah. gold. I mean, there were so many great character <laughs> things going on over there. So you know, yeah. what's the pro so you're writing for sketch, but what's the process to turn these actors into these characters? That's an interesting question. You know, it all comes from observation, I think. I mean, you Alberta. know, yeah. like Alberta, you know, Jeffrey was in the Publix and he saw this lady in the produce department going, this fruit's all rotten. Look at it. Look I've at it. I've seen fresher like, really foliage in my douche. In my douche. Look at it. <laughs> and he came home. He goes, oh, my God, I saw this lady. Jesus. And he started describing her. And she actually, I think, had long black hair and she was wearing a fur coat and like jewels or whatever. She's in, he, he develops this whole thing based on his observation of her in the same way Chinester Merriweather, celebrity casting director, amalgamation of every terrible casting experience I had in Los Angeles and every horrible casting director that just, you know, were just crazy. But then from what you've observed or what your experiences are, a lot of times family members are great places to start with, yeah. with your character development, you know, because you know those people. But then you have to develop and you do kind of intuitively as an actor, their worldview, you know, how they see the world, what props them up? How do they look at the world? Because otherwise it's just a silly voice and a silly costume and a silly wig. And without the honesty and the truth of where that character comes from, you know, like Chinester's worldview was joy. He, I mean, he was horrible. He killed people with his mind and he played checkers with Jesus on the moon every Thursday and he traveled to Saturn and he could walk through walls. Mm -hmm. um, but he was joyful, you know, in everything that he did. And I think that that was contagious with the audience. Alberta was, I don't know, what's her worldview, Jeffrey? Just well, this lady, I mean, innocently I aggravated around the store. 
I followed her around public for about 30 minutes while they called manager. And she was just not having the, the filth that was the public's bins of vegetables. And uh, she, she took the guy bend to bend and said, what was wrong with it? And I said, this is too good. I named her after a neighbor of mine that was a favorite of mine growing up. And, and the tongue, you know, I suddenly her tongue started coming out when she would talk and she would get excited and said, look at it, look at it. And so look at it became her phrase because she really wanted this manager to look at those vegetables bins. And so I was like, look at it. And she'd get all worked up like a dog and his tongue was coming out and was trying to settle down. And uh, so he actually does that all, every day at home too, but so. It takes a lot to settle down, yes. But I think that everybody has an excellent thing to mention your family because that's where, I mean, you have your entire life to pull from someone's isms that you've been close to and heard countless times. We had a grandmother that was full of isms that we still repeat today. That's a wealth of information to pull for character work. And so you can have three people from your friends and family network that are in one person's character that encapsulate one strong character that you can bring back and put in any situation you just keep remembering those nuances of that personality that you really enjoyed watching it's kind of a sideshow or a shit show or whatever your your relatives might be like the tongue was from just watching dogs where they're excited or after a fight you know they just they can't quite um, pull themselves together too quickly so she got worked up about the you know the vegetable bin being a mess and then she had to her tongue had to figure it all out and she was really good on her feet in her heels she could kick <laughs> kick her feet out uh, for some reason so she was sort of acrobatic there's no rhyme or reason to it it all just came about from other people <laughs> in your life that you notice that like you know she she always flares her legs way out when she stops walking I don't know. It's kind of bizarre. It sounds like well, we all do drugs. But. <laughs> yeah, it sounds right now like we're all doing drugs. But I think what Chip said about like the actor grabbing the wig and the raincoat running to the stage, I'd like to speak to that for a second because what I notice with actors who are learning characters, especially if they're trying to create comedic characters, it's almost like improv just for the sake of being funny. Whereas that's not, you know, it's it's got to be more than just a wig and a coat. It's like any kind of characters. I mean, the character has to be fully fleshed out. The character has to have a full life we used to have this character exercise. I would send students out into the world to observe and they would have to like go to Starbucks or whatever. And like, and they would bring someone back like from the real world that they found. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was a tick or a trait, you know, that they noticed somebody doing something weird with their hand or a way someone spoke that was interesting and different from them. And then you have them come back. And I know you guys do the same thing. You have them sort of walk around, embody the physicality of the character, find the voice of the character. And then I would start asking them questions. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to ask you questions, right? I want you to answer me in character. And the question can never be no. I don't want you to try to be funny. You have to agree with everything I say and give me an answer. Yeah. So you ask them, where do you go to church? Who did you vote for in the last election? Yep. Do you have any pets? Who's your favorite sister? And they can't say, I don't have a sister. They have to come up with. Yeah. So you're creating this whole. And that's the fun part about being an actor and creating mm -hmm. a different person is you create the whole person. Then the humor if it's a character for a humorous situation, comes out of the truth of the scenario and the situation, comes out of the truth of the person. That's 100% so. nail on the head how we uh, try to get our folks to understand character. Because I always tell them, you know, if you build those histories of those characters, you find that you have more safety in the character yeah. when you're on yep. stage. But I do drive home. You plus a committed emotion is a character in itself. Absolutely. When you're doing other character work, you really do because you research that more than you do yourself. Yep. And, uh, yep. Yep. There's safety there. 
Well, like some of my characters, like Chinester Merriweather, was an alter ego. He became an alter ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a lot of comfort in an alter ego. It's almost like a superhero. Mm-hmm. And that character was more confident than I ever was in my life, is more confident than I ever am in my life. And, you know, is on top of his world, as weird and crazy as it is, you know? I had this one guy in our character development class who came in and did a gay character. And he came in and he did a typical stereotypical gay character, just with the voice and the swishy and the, hey, girls, what's going on? And it was like, he was so disconnected from any sense of reality of who this person was that it became a stereotype. And so the actor standing on stage looked like he was making fun of gay people. Like he looked like, oh, let me show you how it would be so funny being gay. But there was no life behind it and was pretty poor imitation too. It wasn't like even a really good gay character, but because there was no flesh and life behind it. Because characters can come from stereotypes. Stereotypes are legitimate. They have some place in the lexicon of our world because there are attributes that certain people have that you can say, okay, these are similar, but you can't play a stereotype without empathy. You can't play a stereotype from the outside or you're making fun of, and that's wrong. And it's not funny. It makes the audience uncomfortable. But if you take a character that is an archetype or a stereotype and you put a life behind it and understand where that person comes from and you play the reality of that person's living moment, then they just believe that you're that character. And that's the idea is never to like, oh, let me show you how funny this kind of person is, but let me live life as this person and show you why this person is this way and why they're so upset about this thing or that thing. Any good actor connects to the reality of a character and doesn't just play the surface. And then there's Meryl Streep who just, you know, pretty good. She still won't tell you how she does it. She says, I'm not finished yet. I'm not going to tell you how I do it. I'm not done yet. But I watched Katie Lang. Katie Lang, the lesbian guitar, flinging, singing. She was... She was in a movie or a show. Oh, she was on. Um, yeah. What's what's the improv Portlandia. Show? Yeah, she was in Portlandia. She looks like she could be Meryl Streep's sister. I never would have dreamed that I would say that, but she does look a lot like Meryl Streep, actually. And it maybe might Meryl Streep could play Katie Lang. It might be Meryl Streep, actually. Katie Lang probably is Meryl Streep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think he is. <sighs> like any of us are qualified. <laughs> Meryl Streep is like way up here on the mountain. Yeah, I know. She is the roof. She's the ceiling. We all got to get on the, the roof one day. She's a national yeah. treasure. Hey, you've been listening to people talk about improv, so why not try it yourself? Whole World Improv Theater has in-person improv classes for beginners and seasoned actors alike. No prior experience is needed. Our class program is eight weeks long and full of people just like you who want to learn and have a lot of fun. Just check out our website to learn more or sign up. The website is wholeworldtheater.com. And that's theater with an R-E at the end because we're fancy. Major support for Whole World Improv Theater is provided by the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs, the sweetest smelling office of cultural affairs in the world. You know, John, part of an answer to, I think, your question, too, is that we all find ourselves in the business, sometimes by mistake, or anyway, let's say, picking a career like an agent to, you know, have an agency. I never had that goal. But one, one yeah, need, point. Right, you know, a need for a day job brought me there mm-hmm. so I could supplement my acting world. And then it just worked out that that ended up being my next career and that's fine. But I was doing that because I wanted a day job to support my acting career and that Sketchworks was 
amazing to me uh, just to be a part of that group and to be able to have that kind of fun. And it's funny that a lot of us in any of this part of this industry have found the niche that we're currently in kind of by accident. One thing led to it, you know, out of necessity or just circumstance. Uh, and I think it's cool that all of us are open to letting that happen. And then think of the world that you have, just taking the two of you, the world that you exist in with whole world is such a life, such home on top of yeah. it being maybe a career goal, maybe just an accidental job find or just doing something for the moment that ended up being part of your life. It's just interesting. It's kind of a side note that a lot of us are here because of a different journey goal, but we found home in what we're doing. Yeah, uh, that's, I interesting. Think that's interesting. Yep. Yeah, you know, that's a really, that really speaks to me because just getting to whole world, you know, I was doing a series of open mics doing stand up. And then, you know, when I was riffing on jokes, when I set up and then I got to my punchline, I just started riffing in between there. Then I got a lot of great feedback from that. So, oh, sure. I'll just take an improv class and then utterly different skill sets. Right. You know, so something that I took thinking this would help my stand-up, I essentially left stand-up because this got me so far in my comfort zone. Yeah, you're right. I didn't intend to um, get here, but uh, this guy's smiling here. You know, you guys can't <laughs> see it in uh, <laughs> In a podcast land or radio land, this guy's cracking because this guy has taught a lot of my classes. Not my first class. That was a Lauren Goins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talented oh. person. Great teacher. Lovely and person. this guy, you know, took over there. And then, you know, like he said at the beginning of the episode here, you know, I'll always thank, you know, him for, um, you know, there, there are just times, especially early in your career where you just don't know, oh, wait. Have I hit this point? Have I not hit this point? And especially if it's something that you haven't thought of. You know, maybe it is something like you said, Jeffrey, where, okay, I just happen to be here right now. But you know what? Going through the Sketchworks class really got my mind going. It made me see an entire scene. Mm -hmm. In improv, you know, that's almost the opposite of improv. You know, you're just in the moment there. But yeah, being able to see, oh, wait a minute. There are characters in the scene, and really the core of any improv scene is there's you and your scene partner, and that interaction, that relationship, that emotion between those two really comes there. You know, and I think writing it out just sort of triggered me. Yeah, yeah. It got me where I was going. Well, so. I'm going to say this, and you're going to edit this out, John. <laughs> don't edit I wouldn't that edit out. That that's out. Great. Don't edit that out. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> no, that's a, that, that's a perfect an allegory. Make it at the bumper for the teaser. <laughs> yeah, make it the bumper. I'm the guy who actually does the the editing here, and Chip is so cute when he thinks he has a say in that. <laughs> <laughs> so <is> cute. cute. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> that's going to be out there. <laughs> Oh, wait, you're worried about that being out there. But meanwhile, in season one, we kept talking about this huge orgy one night here where like what, <laughs> five, six kids got produced. I think there were four. It was a night at Michael Snow and I came what? back here and we were watching a movie in the back. And so we <laughs> fell asleep on a sofa and I woke up to 
And uh, <laughs> I got up, Michael was still passed out. So I'm trying to figure out where my keys are. I'm trying to get out of here. And there was a couple in every corner of the, I was like, what the hell is going on? And I was like, wow. oh, oh, it was one of the ecstasy nights, I'm sure. Cause I didn't do that. I went a little pop, which is probably why I went night night. But uh, I'm just revealing everything. <laughs> um, but um, like within weeks after that, four of those girls ended up being pregnant. Oh my lord! The whole world babies. So then we had uh, five whole world total babies. One planned, four not. There needs to be a documentary made. I can put you in touch with the right people. I'd like to especially focus on the ecstasy days. Well, and that was when we had to explain to him what Backstreet was. Because we, we were all talking. <laughs> oh, and then God. Was, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's like, what the hell is a Backstreet? I was like, oh, my God. Oh, man. <laughs> He's learned wow. Yeah, more than... Yeah, sometimes more than I thought, but no, it's yeah. it's been great. And we trust me, it. all that furniture has left the building, so no one. Has <laughs> oh, good. That's oh, good right to know. We run a respectable business now. You do. Oh, it's not no, a whorehouse like it used to be. <laughs> I whorehouse <laughs> of comedy. Uh, a whorehouse of ha ha. The ha ha whorehouse. That's what that is. <laughs> I want to see that character. Wait, that's our new whorehouse. Whorehouse. Ten o'clock. Coming soon. Get your eggs. Get your eggs ready. Boy, that man, I miss y'all. That's we gotta get. We gotta get together more often. We need this in our lives. Oh yeah. You know, one thing I want to tell you guys, because I think, I mean, this is interesting to me, so probably just to me, but I, <laughs> I've been teaching yes. at Oglethorpe University, but I've been teaching the Film and Media Studies program. And one thing, you know, I've done a lot of different things too. My career is a hodgepodge of different things in the business. And one of the classes I taught last semester was professional practices. Basically, the idea is taking these kids who want to be in the entertainment industry and telling them how to have a career in the entertainment industry, right? Because everybody has stars in their eyes. It's all like this, this unreachable thing because there's not one way, there's not one path in our business, you guys. Like in the corporate world, there's a path. You know, you start here, you get the management, you get the executive level. But in our business, in the entertainment industry, there's many different paths, like many different paths you can follow. And one of the things that I taught the kid and also was backed up in this textbook that we use called Hollywood Drive, which is written by a production manager in Los Angeles who has a really successful career now as a showrunner. You know, let's say you want to be an actor. I don't know if this is helpful to anybody listening, but you want to be an actor. Okay, well, great. Well, you're always going to be an actor as long as you're studying your craft, getting out there and auditioning, like doing the best you can. You know, lightning can strike in our business, but it's also very random and it takes a long, long time to find your roots and to get situated. And there's nothing wrong with an actor you know, to support yourself, if you have to have a day job, which most actors will get a day job in the business, there's nothing wrong with an actor working the front desk at the casting company, right? There's nothing wrong with an actor working in administration at the studio, right? And it's just funny, because I was probably in my late 20s before I realized that, oh, wow, if I have to have a day job, let me get it in the business. You know, and that really changed my whole career because in those day jobs, I met contacts. I was still an actor and I could be an actor and I could be a voice actor and they were understanding of it because they were all in the business. And it actually helped me create a really successful voice acting career, which is where I finally found my like kind of niche in my calling. But it's just so funny because when we started out in this business, all of our parents say, well, don't quit your day job. You better have a backup plan. Well, you can, you can have a backup plan, but it can be in the business. Uh, screenwriters get a job in the script supervising department. My mom was like, I'm elective. <laughs> You're going to make your career an elective. You need to be a <laughs> I was like, uh, no. 
that's not gonna happen. <laughs> when, I did doing, it. when I was doing open mics, my uh, dad for uh, Christmas that year bought me a book that says how to be a working comic. And that was, <laughs> wow. that was his subtle way of just reminding me. My, my dad just like runs psyops on me. And it just, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, can um, you go we're for it? short on time, but I'd like to know, um, do you have any social medias? Where uh, can people find you guys and follow you? Yeah, mine, mine are very easy. It's all just Jeffrey Umberger, uh, you know, on all Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a great way to just pop in and get great advice from a lot of people. Um, yeah. So Jeffrey Umberger for me. Are we going to get at least 12 people following us, John? <laughs> at least. Oh, let's hope. At least 12. Um, I'm at B Jordan Bremer. B as in boy Jordan, like the river Bremer, B-R-E-M-E-R. At, Bre at B Jordan Bremer on Instagram and just Brian Bremer on, on Facebook. Nice. Okay. Yeah. God, thanks for having us, you? guys. It was so much fun to be with you guys and just laugh and, and talk about the biz. Well, not yeah. you know, we love and respect you guys, and that's why we love you to hear your story and know what's going on because uh, we do have a lot of students and apprentice members that are following the podcast and are you know we've had Jeff Justice, we've had Hal Peller. Oh, good, good. Uh, we've had a lot of folks on that really brought a different perspective, and I think we've got Tim Stoltenberg coming up uh, hopefully next, as well as uh, Bethany Rowe who runs our improv for neurological disorders so wow wow yeah group so they're coming up next with education as well and how that benefits those kids so we've just, that's why we wanted season two yeah. to be about education because we wanted our people that were here in the company and listening to not only know our history but now understand why we're here because we're trying to educate you so we're trying to let Brilliant. you know the ins and outs of the industry and how to get in well, yeah. we'll see you at a show soon, you guys. We can't right. wait to come over and see you guys in person. Yep. Thanks for having us today. It was a lot Thank of fun. Thank you, John and Chip. Good to see you guys. <laughs> Good to see Good you to too, see boy. You. Made our days. For listening to the Whole World Improv Theater podcast, a podcast we think is still being edited after it drops, but we don't have any proof. The Whole World Improv Podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Industries. The executive producer, writer, and magister officorum is Chip Powell, and John Nihalik does stuff. Okay, John, two straight weeks of humility on the credits. Yeah, I think I have broken him. <laughs> by the gentle readers. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. We're making a huge group text, and we'd love to have you on it. The Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it is tax deductible. It's not like you're getting your money's worth from the government anyway. Wow, that really hit close to home. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo. And currently, I'm underneath a hotel sheet because I had to leave Atlanta abruptly. So I hope it sounds okay. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Really comes there. You know, I think writing it out just sort of triggered me. Yeah. yeah. It got me where I was going. Well, so. I'm going to say this, and you're going to edit this out, John. I always say when you come from stand-up world...
stage. And until you're comfortable, you can't perform well. <laughs> Don't edit I wouldn't that edit out. That's that great. Out. Don't edit that out. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> no, that's I, a, that, that's a perfect analogy. Making it the bumper for the teaser. <laughs> yeah, make it the bumper. 